Welcome to One Pagers with Portage Sales. I'm Adrian Harris. And I'm Peter Myers. And we're very excited to have Jeff Friedman join us for our second episode today. Jeff brings over 20 years of leadership expertise in sales channels, marketing, and customer knowledge in his current position as country manager, Proofpoint Canada. He has executive responsibility for developing, supporting, and executing the sales strategy in businesses across Canada. In this capacity, Jeff devotes his expertise and efforts to lead Proofpoint in delivering award-winning cybersecurity solutions to Canadian clients. Proofpoint is a proud employer of over 200 professionals in Canada. And prior to joining Proofpoint, Jeff had a 22-year career at IBM, where he worked in a variety of business units and leadership positions. He was the VP of IBM's Systems and Technology Group. Jeff lives in Toronto with his wife and two children, and he contributes his time generously to the United Way and the Sporting Life 10K fundraiser. Welcome, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks so much. That was a beautiful introduction. I, ho I hope I can live up to some of those things you just said. So, <laughs> No doubt you what will. <laughs> why don't we dive in, Jeff? You know, one thing I, I love about this opportunity of having this kind of conversation is learning about different industries. And love to just get a level set on what's happening in, in your industry in terms of COVID and this economy right now. Peter, it's a great question. And I think that um, the cybersecurity space um, prior to COVID was, um, I, I'd say, on fire from a, from a space point of view because the threat actors, whether they be, they be financial criminals or state actors or, or insiders, have put significant pressure on organizations. Uh, there's now net mandatory breach notification here in Canada. And so organizations and brands are under tremendous pressure to block threats. And, you know, if, if that, was, that was bad before COVID, um, we saw a material and significant uptick uh, once COVID happened. You know, we track uh, threats that come into organizations and we saw a material uptick. And so um, with, the, with people moving and working from home, the, the material challenges that exist existed before are only exacerbated. And so, uh, you know, you kind of saw in the first element of COVID, this um, focus on, you know, enabling employees to work from home. And now once you've done that, there, it opens up a plethora of new uh, uh, avenues for these threat actors to attack the organization. And so the threat surface has expanded. And ultimately people are your weakest link and you have somebody at home who's trying to juggle, um, you know, kids, dinner, job, um, str additional stressors, and, and you're asking them to be as cognizant of the threats coming in as they were when they were in their office in a, in a much more controlled environment. And so those challenges are, are really quite um, significant, and that is driving up, you know, lots of conversations we're having with clients today, and they are for sure under threat. And we see, you know, lots of you see ransomware attacks on hospitals, things that, you know, you thought would be, you know, untouchable uh, uh, from a threat actor, uh, you know, six months ago, that's just not the case. And, you know, these are criminals. So they are, um, you know, they don't have scruples. So to think that you're an organization that you're immune, that just isn't the case. How is that impacting clients and prospect buying behavior? Because I think that's interesting of, you know, one of the things I see across our clients is that 
it's more about the people you know, and it's tougher to break in with the people you don't know. And this this feels like how you just described it, obviously, and, and I would assume that for cybersecurity is almost an essential service, uh, the, the, the way these companies would think of buying it. But sometimes we kind of go to ground and just go to the companies we're already dealing with. Do you, do you find it's more challenging right now to breakthrough with new prospects? Uh, what's, what's the kind of dynamic with clients at this point? Peter, it's such a good question. And it's, it's a, it's, I'm going to answer it and try to answer it to the best of my ability across a couple of different lenses. So first is with your existing clients. It is easier with an existing client to be, be that trusted voice where you've earned that reputation of bringing significant value and insights into this market. And when we go to those clients with that knowledge and expertise, you know, the clients are um, seeing significant value in it. And, and we do have, when we go to the clients by bringing them value, bringing them insights specifically about them and the threat landscape. And then it relates to the second part of that question was new prospects and new prospects were challenging before COVID. Um, and as you, you mentioned this, the default answer is I'm just gonna use what I know and who I know and who I trust. Um, and who's already inside of our organization that we can, you know, leverage and we don't have to, you know, sign new paper, et cetera. That's kind of piece number one. And then the second piece of it is, um, you know, how do you, how do you um, get into those organizations? How do you bring them value? And part of it is, and, it, and obviously much more challenged because, you know, you, you could before go call on a customer um, and you don't do that today. And so, you know, we are finding it much more challenging to, uh, you know, to prospect and to move clients through the sales cycle. And to do that, we are really trying to up our game in terms of our value proposition and what we bring to our clients in terms of thought leadership. But there are for sure clients who um, aren't interested in exploring new ideas. And so we've got to think differently about how we, how we approach them. Yeah, I'm going to pick up on that piece. I, I, I think that's fascinating, and particularly the piece about breaking through in the value proposition. Uh, you know, we often see, uh, you know, working with tech companies that, and understandably so, everybody gets enamored with their own technology in terms of how innovative it is, how they get the work done. And I think would think that that's a danger when you think when when you're into a very innovative space like cybersecurity. How what have you found that's made some difference in reframing the value proposition so that the customers, it does get the customer's attention. Peter, you've just articulated what I think is, I, I perceive as the number one challenge in our industry today, which is the tech, techno speak um, presentation versus the value proposition and um, breaking through the noise. So first is um, you have this innovative culture bringing you know, really interesting technology and then the engineers want to pitch it in that way. And, you know, you, you, you talk to an individual and they say, look, this is the deck we're going to present to the client. It's 54 pages. I tell them they got 20 minutes and those two things don't sync. And the, what, what we realize is that the, we don't understand, you know, we aren't understanding the client's business problem, the use cases they want to solve and how we can help, um, you know, resolve that customer's business problem. And I, you know, my, my challenge to, to our teams is think like the customer and frame things from their perspective, not ours. And so too often we get enamored with, you know, who we are. You know, I, I read recently 
one of my competitors, um, uh, effectively their pitches. And it was all about them. You know, it was, it was all about them. And, and you get into the situation where it's not a, it's not about the customer and you ultimately, you're not going to resonate with a client unless it's about them. And, uh, and yes, your technology, it's important to innovate. It's important to bring, you have to be, you have to be best of breed. That's a, that's table stakes. Your client has done the research before they get to you. And so you better understand them and how those, how that relates to your technology and you can bring value to them because that's how you build long-term and um, sustainable and enduring relationships in my, my point of view. I don't, I don't know if Peter, if I answered your question there. Yeah, no, you do. And I, like, I, I feel like the other mistake that we make in tech as well is we assume that we know what the customer's problem is and, and don't listen as carefully at the front end. I, you know, we're working with one customer and, and really retraining them to ask way more open-ended questions to get to the core business issue that might be unique to that organization. It, you, you've had years at IBM. You've uh, been on your own. You've been working with Proofpoint and running that business. Uh, what are what are some ways that you find it? You know, how do you coach your sales team in terms of getting to that problem? So, let me talk about my approach uh, and how I've done it over the years, and then I'll talk about coaching my team because I think those are yeah. those are two separate two separate things. And I, I think if you're a good coach, you also understand how you get there. I think that the first piece of it is, you know, my approach is you know, you need to understand the client's business first from a macro point of view, you know, have you read their published financial results? Do you understand what their strategy is? You know, it, that, the beauty of a publicly traded company is they publish out to the marketplace, what their, um, you know, annual in their annual report, what their strategy is. And then they subsequently update that every quarter in their earnings filings in there and they do it on a call and, you know, shame on any salesperson that doesn't take the time to listen to that, to read and listen to those, um, those earnings. You know, they just sometimes dive into, okay, well, they missed their quarterly objectives. You know, they, they, uh, their stock went down. Okay, well, that's, you know, what else do they talk about? Because the, the questions at the end of the, of the earning announcement is so in, um, informative to the, to the, to the listener. And then they, you can then use that on your sales calls. And I find that a lot of sales people don't do the basic research of publicly available information. So the first thing I did when I was a seller and, you know, I was calling on C-suite executives was I made sure I knew their business and um, I could relate what they were trying to accomplish back to those objectives because a C-suite executive, you know, their MBOs, how they're incented relates back direct, directly back to the client, to, to the overall corporate objectives. And so you need to be in sync on those. And so I try to drive that home to my sellers in the, in the coaching that I give them. And, you know, I, I had a seller recently come into me and say, I say, okay, that's great. Um, you know, it sounds like they're, you know, moving down the, the road with this, oper- this, uh, this technology. Um, why are they doing it? And the guy said, like, Jeff, like, why do you care? Like, they're going to buy this stuff. I go, because if you don't understand why, you know, you could be disrupted during the sales process, you know, and, and something more important could come along, along. You don't understand this external factors and, you know, we can roll this back and, you know, a great example of is in first quarter, I, there was an opportunity we were working on uh, with a client and what happened was uh, COVID and the spend shifted. Well, the value proposition and the, 
business case weren't strong enough to, to contain those dollars. And so when something disruptive came along, because we failed to understand the business motivation, we, you know, we didn't have a strong enough business case. We hadn't helped craft that business case. When, it, when this disruptive um, incident came along, it changed the, the funding dynamic. And, and so I think a lot of sellers um, don't spend enough time on that. And we as leaders don't poke and you know, coach for impact uh, you know, what this means and how, and how you can help them. And I quite frankly don't think a lot of sellers are very good at business casing. So this kind of is a, is a you know, circle of problem. You know, a, it's a circle of challenge that you, you have to break effectively. I really like that because I, I think what, like to me what you just framed up is interesting to say that you know understanding the root cause the problems that they're really trying to solve gets gets us the dollars today and 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 earns us the opportunity to keep those dollars in the future as well. Yeah, and and Peter, this is, this really gets to what I think you know, especially in a SaaS environment where you can literally you know cancel your subscription on an annual basis or. You know, they use the Netflix example on a monthly basis. They got to re-earn your business, and the way they re-earn it is with innovative, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, programming. And so, if, if they're not bringing it to the marketplace, you're going to walk, right? You could spend your dollars there, or Disney Plus, or whomever, right? Um, and so, you know, we need to do the same thing. And you know, we got into this cycle where, um, you know, with COVID, or it can be with anything, you they procurement gets involved and they and they want to drive down the price but they don't understand and, and we had to i had to go back to them and say look the business case that this was based on last year was on the saving of this fte um and so that's where the saving is so if you want you know you can pull us out and put in a lower cost solution but put that fte back in have you done that math because if this is yeah. just you know and, and the problem is is you know as soon as procurement and the business get uh, disintermediated, then you get into this, into this problem. And so, you know, we see that as well. And, it, you know, it's, it's um, everyone's got their job to do, but we've got to help make sure people understand and remember, you know, what, what it was and what we agreed to as the success criteria and, and the return on investment. Now, one of the things I, I'm going to take that over now to value proposition, because one of the things that really caught my attention, that I loved was the human side of cybersecurity. That was one of the taglines. And I don't know if that's the primary one for proof points, but that was the one that, that really stuck in my mind. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you guys frame up your, the, your, your differentiation, the difference that you make for your clients relative to your competition? Yeah, so it's a very good question. Um, if we look at how the vast majority of cyber attacks happen today, they um, happen because a human has taken action to effectively allow that, that, that attack or that, um, uh, the, um, the exfiltration of data. And so it really is, it's a people, it's a people problem because data doesn't just grow legs and walk out of your organization. A person has to, take action um, either to let the threat actor in or to take the information out. And what do I mean by this? The number one threat vector today is, uh, is email. So it's think of it, uh, email comes at an individual. Uh, it's got a malicious attachment, malicious URL. 
uh, it's you know very effectively written, and these things are very effectively done. And the individual clicks on it uh, or uh, goes to that link, and it downloads uh, malware or it's a credential uh, fish. And so, what our belief is, and our value proposition to our clients is, we operate a people-centric security. And so, with people at the core of the business problem, we build concentric circles around that individual to provide them strength. So whether you are sitting inside of a, a business on, uh, you know, a office tower or on Bay street, or you're sitting at your home in Brampton, or if you're uh, on the go train, or if you're in at the cottage, although that individual, how do you protect that individual regardless of where they are from uh, taking and, and risky behavior? And so that's an element of it. And so um, that is how we, frame our value proposition uh, in that very specific way. Uh, and everything we do is about building circles around that um, individual so that they are protected inside your organization and ultimately your brand is protected. And, and I love it because I, I, I feel like it takes, it, it's almost like a conscious reaction of your company to take it, take all the conversation away from the tech and come back to, again, at the end of the day, what's the problem that we're actually solving for our customer? And it is about those, uh, those, that fail point in terms of uh, people making a mistake along the way. Absolutely. Now, now I, the, I, I'm gonna kind of go full circle here. We started by talking about the market and how, it, how difficult it is to uh, break through with new clients. And there's a do different that you mentioned there. And I want to pick that back up and talk more specifically about the salespeople that you see really thriving during this kind of economy uh, and, and contrast those against some of the behaviors that you think are pitfalls at this point. Can we start with what are, what are the, the real, from your perspective, the, the sales winners on teams right now doing and doing different that is helping them to win? You know, it's a, I love the question. Um, and, I, and I'm taking a, a moment to pause and, and answer because I think, about, I think about this all the time. And, and you can see it. You know, I, I've got a number of sellers across the country. And it, it reminds me very much of uh, the 08 financial crisis. And, um, and, and why I see it parallels is that um, both of them required a up level of skill, an up level capability, and not every seller has it. And so... Um, what do I mean by that? So when we pivoted from, um, I would say, uh, it's always, there's always relationship sell, but when we pivoted from the individual who went on site and it was, I would say much more of a, uh, a softer sell and it quite frankly, a weaker, a weaker execution. When you got on the phone um, and you got into this virtual world, it was the individual who could, a, um, understand their territory really well, um, go after the targets that they set out in a very structured manner. So, you know, the structured salesperson is more successful today in today's environment than the unstructured seller was, is, pardon me. Um, and, and that, that, that always hold, held true, but I would say it, you really see it accentuated in this work from home. Um, so that structured sell, salesperson, the individual who knows what they want to accomplish in a quarter, knows what they want to accomplish in a year. They're very crisp on who they are going after, why they're going after and have a plan of attack. And then what they do is they build very, um, very concrete 
um, business cases with their clients. Um, and again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is a double click on the client, what they're trying to accomplish, uh, what are their measures for success. Do, do, you know, when you ask the end, that seller, do you know that your um, the, uh, you know, the the financial buyers, MBOs, they would they they know it, and that, that really makes a big difference. Where you get the unstructured seller can barely answer those, you know, I'd say qualification questions, and so you get this you get this real stratification of who the who the winners are and who the losers are, and 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 it sounds really negative when you use the word uh, winners and losers, but I would say between the successful uh, seller and and the and the the individual who who's struggling, um, you see that in in just exacerbated with work from home. And quite frankly, I think it's, it's separating the, the average fr from, from, the, from the great. And you see it in the, I'm seeing it in the results of the sellers as well. So um, I think that really matters. And I think that it, additionally, the, the tech seller, the individual who is very good at, you know, at talking tech and, and they're your most competent technological seller is not doing well. And, in, as well in today's environment as the individual who's a very good business seller. And those things um, are, are what I see as a, a big differentiation. They, it, and I get to pick up on a word that I just, I, I always come back to throughout my career, which is ambiguity that, you know, not only you have to be structured and I, I loved your word crystal in terms of knowing what you're going after, how you're going to do it. But also there's so much changing right now at, at this point. So how does that structured seller, you know, is, is, there a, is there a dichotomy there in terms of being hopefully structured and not be able to deal with the change? Like what's, what's uh, yeah, how, do, how do you handle that? So I think the unstructured seller struggles more in this very ambiguous environment than the structured seller because the structured seller, um, it, it, you know, can be resilient because they have a plan. And so, you know, I, I, you know, part of what I think, you know, differentiated me, differentiates me is that the plan is a guide, not a operational manual. And if you remember the movie Apollo 13, where, you know, here you have the most, you know, um, disruptive thing that could happen, right? And so what do they do? They take the manual and they put it aside, but they use all the knowledge that created the, um, the, to get them to space, they use that knowledge to bring them home. Um, and so you have to adjust. And I'm not saying you become so rigid that you can't be flexible. And, and today's environment requires, or even before COVID, requires flexibility. But you need to have a plan of how you want to, what you want to accomplish. And then you'll need to make course corrections along the way. But if you have no plan and hope is not a strategy, you know, as you know, I don't know who coined the phrase, but you know, I've used it a thousand times, and I probably owe you know copyright to somebody. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you have to have a plan, and I think the unstructured seller um, lacks that 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 plan and in the plan of attack, and and um, you you need to be out there making the calls, and you need to be um, doing the outreaches, etc. And you need to you can't you can't wake up in the morning and you know, think of it, you know, think about what you're going to do. You need to have a plan. That's my point of view of what I think makes, you know, some sellers uh, exceptional versus others. And, you know, I, I, we, we don't all have the bandwidth to do everything. And so you've got to be very, you, you know, this is a very unique time. And so you need to be very focused. Yeah. And, and um, I, I, 
I feel like what you're saying as well is, you know, you need to know the value of the plan and the value of when to change that plan as well. Like when, when to start to be flexible with that and, and, and really know more of the driving force behind what created that plan in the first place. Right. And look, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us as leaders to bring that, you know, not every, every individual contributor um, is able to think like this. And so as a leader, we've got to help these individuals understand that and uh, course uh, correct, not over rotate, but course correct in terms of their execution, um, help them understand the guideposts and the measures of success um, that they're, you know, they need to accomplish on a, you know, a, a uh, 52 week cycle uh, and uh, think not just for the short term, but also for the long term, because, you know, a, a truly great salesperson thinks not on a, you know, a 52 week uh, cycle, but they think, you know, you know, uh, you know, 24 months, 36 months, 48 months, they, you know, they, like the big plays take time. And so they, they need to, to see the, you know, what are, what's going to, you know, uh, take to get there. And, uh, and I think that's really important. A great mentor in my life. I'll wrap up in a second, but a great mentor in my life said, stop playing uh, sales as a single move and start playing it as a long chess game. And uh, yeah, I, I really have so much heart for that of, you know, think to the long term. So this has been fantastic. Thanks so much, Jeff. Really, really interesting. And, and I think very, very helpful for our listeners to get some of your insights. So I'll, I'll turn it back to Adrian. Thanks, Peter. Jeff, that was Totally awesome. So many great insights, as Peter said, for our listeners. Some things that popped for me were think like your customer and be really clear on understanding the problems that you're helping solve, asking thoughtful questions, building smart business cases with success criteria and a real um, clear ROI. And then having a structured business seller, um, those are the ones that are going to stand out in this environment because they have a plan and they can pivot around that plan as they need to. All right. Thanks, Adrian. And that wraps up our second episode of Portage One Pagers. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll look forward to having you join us on our next episode.